Welcome to the Light on Being podcast. I am the host, Claire Zavko. The Light on Being podcast is dedicated to growth and transformation through conscious talks and conversation. It is time to remember our value, step into our wholeness, and live life fully. Join me monthly on every full moon for practical techniques, radical insight, and conversations with entrepreneurs, teachers, healers, and spiritual leaders. I'm excited. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today we have a guest with us, Penny Nichols, a dear friend, and I'm excited to speak with her about Vedic astrology. Before we get into it, let's start with a mindful minute. So wherever you are, start to settle. As long as you're not driving, you can close your eyes and you start to feel the connection to the ground beneath you, the earth beneath you, whatever you are seated or standing on. Take this time to pause and really settle. Notice your feet in connection with the ground, the earth, your legs beneath you and what you are seated or standing on, what it specifically feels like. Notice your lower legs, lower body. Allow the spine to be long. Soften the shoulders. Soften the face. Soften the fingers. Just experience your presence in your own stillness. And take a slow breath in. Slow breath out. Two more conscious breaths on your own. go of whatever has or has not happened yet today. Start to allow your senses to heighten here. Notice any internal sounds and any external sounds in your space. Notice the temperature of the room, any scent, any smell. Swipe your tongue across your teeth. Notice any taste. Notice the presence of anybody else in your space. Any people, any pets. And notice any light. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes, come into this space. Today we have Penny Nichols with us, a dear friend and another Sattva Yoga soul sister and fellow Jyotishi Vedic astrologer. I wanted to really just thank you, Penny. Thank you for being with us today and thank you for sharing with us today. 
I am so honored to be here and excited about this conversation. So we met at some point on one of our one of our trips to India and we've been studying at Sava Yoga Academy. And we both had the opportunity to take a Vedic astrology training a few years ago with our teacher, Anand Mahotra. And it has been such an eye-opening, transformative, continuous aha moment experience for me as I continue to learn pedagogy and play it and reading with you it seems mean to really feel at this time where we are in time space and 2021 that it's relevant that these teachers teachings become more broadly known as they can be such a powerful tool for clarity standing for guidance for healing and so that's why I'm so excited today to explore further with you about Vedic astrology and really dig into it. So that being said, I'm curious, what drew you to studying and wanting to learn more about Vedic astrology yourself? Um, it's really incredible, the path of the soul and how when you begin to start to open yourself to direction as our um, technology and teachings um, guide us or allow us to empower us to begin to kind of allow the source of all things to lead us in um, the path that allows our soul to grow, to evolve, the things that come forward. If you had asked me a decade ago if I would be studying um, Vedic astrology or Jyotish, um, I would have probably not bet money on it. <laughs> Um, but as soon as it became, it, I've always kind of been fascinated with the nature of the stars and especially like going out and watching, um, laying on the grass and looking up at the night sky and seeing how tiny I am in comparison to this vast universe. And then also feeling like I'm a big part of it as well. And so when the opportunity arose to study, um, it was an immediate yes within my being. Now, lots of different things had to align for that to happen. And in fact, you know, there was a moment where I thought this um, training was not the, the training was not going to happen for me at that particular time. Um, and then I kind of looked into, you know, what, why that was, what, what limiting belief was holding that to be true. And as I looked at that, then everything came in support of me studying um, for this inaugural course with our teacher. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity because this, just like for both of us, it has been um, so eye-opening, so illuminating, um, so life-affirming of, you know, what we're here doing as souls and to be able to share that with people, to be able to 
see the beautiful blueprint of the essence of their light and then be able to help them see that is truly a blessing. I love how you highlighted the soul's journey and how, how it's just that we cannot fathom where we'll be in the future or 10 years from now. And I can completely agree with your sentiments that this wasn't on my radar either. You know, and I remember receiving the first email when the course was announced. And one of the first sentences said, Jyotish or Vedic astrology is the science of light. <laughs> yeah. And the moment I read that sentence, I got goosebumps and I started crying. I had no idea there was a silent science of light. And then I couldn't believe this was it. <laughs> so right. even though it wasn't on my radar, I just said yes in that moment to the universe, figured out all the time, finances, energy, et cetera, the details that need to happen. But the moment I read, it is the science of light. I knew I needed to be involved in it. The other thing you mentioned is illumination, like how illuminating it really is as a science and then verified by anyone that practices it or shares it or has a reading. One of the things I'd like to mention is um, the difference with the way that the science was shared with us. Um, because it relates to my own personal experience, um, I learned of Vedic astrology maybe two or three years before this course even existed with our teacher, before I'd ever even been to India. And I had a, a reading with um, a Vedic astrologer online. It was recommended to me by another yogi friend. And in that reading, it was very, what was highlighted was the hardships um, in life and um, kind of looking at the planets as um, there's there's good positions of planets, there's good energy of planets, and then there's bad positions of like, so this very dualistic looking at, you know, there's um, particular uh, forms within the chart alignments that are um, things that you desire, that you would want to have that alignment. And then there's alignments that you, you know, are not desired, <laughs> that are considered bad or misfortune or whatever. And so um, I left that experience um, with more confusion. <laughs> um, it also didn't empower me um, with uh, tools to make changes either. It just really brought up um, all the challenges within life and saw it from that lens. And so the thing with the, the lens that we look through, you know, I consider us to be sattva jyotishis. And so we're not just studying astrology as an isolated science. We're looking at it from this holistic approach as part of the yoga Vedantic tradition. Jyotish is the oldest and most complete form of Vedic astrology. Um, in the Vedas, it speaks of this type of astrology as Jyotish. That's the original name. Vedic is now a term of our times. Um, and so, you know, it predates all other Vedic astrologies and, of course, Western astrology. It's more complete than the Hellenic um, Western astrology. So if you have a, a reading with a Sattva Jyotishi, you're going to get um, a more 
holistic and inclusive um, look at this light of your soul, at this footprint, if you will, this blueprint of, um, of time, of how, how things will lay out in time. You know, when we're in this life, we're in this body, in this reality, it all exists within time. And so one of the most beautiful things to me in this tradition is that it's looking at the cycles of time in such a precise manner as well. And not meaning, not precise meaning that it doesn't evolve, it doesn't shift, it doesn't grow. But it looks, you know, there's a thing called yugas. Yugas are these cycles of time. And they traverse 24,000 years. And then we can go all the way down into the micro minute or second in time. And both give us a beautiful representation of what we're here to um, discover and how we are meant to illuminate the world in our own unique way in this lifetime. Wow, it's so powerful. Thank you for pointing out that distinction. And, you know, I remember having one of my first readings with Anand and that's how I felt leaving the reading was not only having clarity about things that did or did not happen in my life, but I left the reading completely empowered. Yes. Yes. You were given action steps, even, you know, even contemplation is an action. You know, when we have this self-awareness, it helped to illuminate your consciousness to shift you from a state of when you entered that reading to when you left it, you were different, right? <laughs> exactly. 100% every time. <laughs> That's what's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's one that allows us to expand. It's not reductive in its nature. It's not something that you can program, you know, to give you information. It is, um, it's completely dynamic. And of course, a reading with each individual is going to be different too, because we all have a little, you know, we all have a different lens that we're looking from. And so when you enter a reading with someone, it, it, it becomes a compilation of the energy of the reader, the Jyotishi, and also of the, um, of the soul that you're looking at, the light. And it, it feels that as humans, people are drawn to astrology naturally, you know, from thinking of when I was a little kid and there was horoscopes in the newspaper to constant talk about if there's technology stuff, it must be mercury retrograde. You know, everyone's saying those types of statements <laughs> right. and then people love to know their sign and talk about their sign and traits of their sign as they know it. So how would you describe the distinction between Western astrology and Vedic astrology? Mm. So in the yoga Vedantic tradition, and this is the tradition that um, the Vedas arise from, these ancient wisdom, texts of wisdom um, that were shared orally for centuries, thousands and thousands of years. It's an oral tradition. And um, 
Jyotish or Vedic astrology arises from these. And so when we're looking at what is most important in Vedic astrology and in this tradition in general, a, a greater importance is given to the mother principle. This was one of the big um, differences when I first started learning of Vedic astrology. Pretty much anyone who knows a little bit about astrology um, in the Western sense knows their sun sign. And that's where they are, you know, looking at the horoscope based on their sun sign. Um, but in Vedic astrology, the mother principle is um, the what we look to first. And the mother principle is represented in the moon. And in Sanskrit, she's known as Chandra. And so we look to her to see what information she is holding. What is her energetic resonance um, in this soul's life? Where is she located in the chart? Another differentiation between Hellenic astrology and Vedic astrology um, in both, we have the 12 constellations. So we have 12 signs uh, and 12 constellations or Rashis in Sanskrit. In Vedic astrology, we can even become more precise than that. So each sign is divided up further. And within these 12 signs or constellations, there are 27 stars. So we look at this nakshatra, they're also called lunar mansions, and they are, it allows us to even have more information, um, more precise information about how this energy is showing up for a person and what it truly, what's the aspect that's being brought forth for them. And so when we look at the star sign that the moon is in, it gives us more understanding into the natural flow or cycles of their life. There are cycles that we call dashas in Vedic astrology, and there are these um, umbrellas of time, these cycles of time that we all go through and they are where we start those cycles is all based on the placement of the moon at the time of birth. So it's all based on this mother principle. And that is very different than, you know, what Western astrology has to offer. Um, we're able to then look and see, okay, what was the energy at the time of birth? Um, what lessons, what challenges, what aspects were coming up in our life. And obviously when we're born, um, that resonance has more to do about the family that we're born into and the lessons that this, these relationships have to offer us. Um, and so we're able to look at these large cycles of life and then each of those large cycles or dashas are divided up from that. But it all starts with the moon. And that's beautiful. Coming from um, my own personal experience of um, being in a religious tradition that was very patriarchal um, in its teachings. 
and the mother was not the mother principle was not spoken of at all (laughs) and to look at it from this angle and understand how important the balance between um the mother principle and the father principle is that we are um, an incorporation of these energies that we all have masculine and feminine energies within us, regardless of what gender we were born um, as in this lifetime and how to find more balance so that we can become integrated beings. We're not supposed to all be, you know, lopsided into one nature when we have the balance of action and an inaction when we begin to kind of tap into the wisdom of these cycles when we're um, meant to create we're creating when we're met, when we're in this maintenance um, stage we're putting the effort in for that when things are ready to break down uh, in the destructive phase of life and this cycle birth life death rebirth we go through this constantly in the life and when we understand more about what this offers and align ourselves to that, not clinging to something when it's time for it to disintegrate, that's when we become truly empowered and embodied like beings. I love the the highlighting of the mother principle. It's it's so true. And and as I learned it, that spoke I felt previously when I was focusing on only the sun sign, um, it just felt limiting. And that was one of my first aha moments starting to study the science is that in a given chart, every planet is there. In a given chart, every sign, every zodiac sign is there. So it it was so beautiful to see that, you know, we're not just this one thing and that we're this beautiful, beautiful mandala of all these different um, patterns, influences, conjunctions, etc., that then choose to express itself as this soul at this time. And that being said, um, in Vedic astrology, what planets are looked at? So in Vedic astrology, we look at nine grahas or planets. Um, and they were all seen with the naked eye by the rishis. So back when this science was first being realized um, by these great seers, yoga yogis, um, also known as rishis, um, they could see as far out as Saturn. And so this science includes the luminaries, sun and the moon. Um, it includes Mars, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, and Saturn. And Jupiter and Saturn are the you know furthest planets that move the slowest in this science. So they're not looking to the outer planets that have been discovered as science has evolved. We don't include Pluto, Uranus, or Neptune in this. But what I discovered as um, I started studying is that their essence, the, the resonance of those planets as I understand them is within the inner planets. It's already expressed here um, in the, the planets that are um, visible to the naked eye. The other two planets that we look at are shadow planets. They're not actually planets at all. 
they are the north node of the moon and the south node of the moon in Vedic astrology. This is known as Rahu and Ketu. And they're two halves of a whole. So they are the eclipse points of the moon when the earth, sun, and moon line up and create an eclipse. Either it's a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse. And so it has what they're either involved with the north node of the moon or the south node of the moon, and it gives it a different flavor. Um, they are seen as um, the head and the tail of a dragon, or also looked at as the head and tail of a snake. And these two opposites really work in tandem. They're always across from each other in our charts. Um, and they're always working together to create balance. You can only realize one when you realize the other. So you can't fully um, express uh, one consciously without understanding its, its partner. <laughs> and I love that because, you know, Rahu, for example, is this supreme creative intelligence it's expansive it's ingenious there are no limitations to rahu it is completely outside of the box always and um without the the stillness the wisdom the depth of ketu the anchor of ketu rahu makes no sense <laughs> rahu is complete chaos it's um too much energy in hundred directions at once with no compass k2 really provides that stability for rahu to fully express itself and vice versa k2 gets stuck in its own way you know it can get stuck in the darkness at like being covered by a blanket gets um, can be really stagnant without that um, breath of energy that Rahu provides. And so these are the nine planets that we look at, and they are the timekeepers. They're the wisdom keepers. They hold memory for us. And what was such an aha moment for me is that we have each of these energetic expressions within us, every single one of us, if you are here in a human form, you have Saturn expressing in you, you have Mercury expressing in you. And the way that it's showing up is different for each of us. It's unique. And the, the um, relationship between the planets is unique to us as well, depending on where they're sitting in our chart. If they, you know, what sign they're in each house in a chart, we have 12 houses in a natal chart and each house has an owner or a ruler. And so depending on what planet is in that house and where its ruler is, creates a relationship between these planets. And so, you know, there's communication that's happening between them. And so it just becomes really exquisite in its expression but there are no bad planets. There's no bad energy. <laughs> There's no like, um, <clears throat> what do they call it? Um, 
malefic. Malefic is a term that the, the first Vedic astrologer that I, the reading that I got, they used a lot was the malefic energy and the benefic energy, meaning, you know, the way that something shows up. Um, and what I love about the way that we're approaching this science is that um, all is working for our own evolution. There is no such thing as a a bad placement. It's all our um, state of consciousness. And we elevate our state of consciousness. We begin to shift the way that we see things. Then the chart shifts, the expression of the chart shifts. Um, And one of the things that I love that Ananji shares, our teacher, is that there's nothing that can, there's no karma within our chart that cannot be transcended. Um, And you know, that's through awareness, that's through awakening and aligning ourselves to this cosmic nature, to cosmic consciousness. It's really profound. And there's no limit to um, this understanding, it continues to unfold, I think we could study it for lifetimes, probably have and probably will continue to. (laughs) And it will continue to blossom in our consciousness, this, uh, you know, deeper and deeper understanding Um, but the whole purpose of this science is to allow us to see clearly, like you so beautifully said in the beginning, it is the science of light It illuminates our path. And if it's being used in that way to help, uh, individuals have a greater understanding of their experiences so far, and then being able to give them information about what, how, energy is expressing for them in this moment and what the higher expressions of that is and how to align themselves with that expression. And that's what's so incredible, incredibly beautiful about what we can offer is it's complete in its, in its form. We can then give people mantras. Um, we can give people practices. We can direct them to different contemplations, things that can um, correct their intellect, their understanding of the journey of life so that they can be liberated. You know, there's so many people that are, um, are stuck in suffering, um, as life as a whole, and then in experiences of seeing it all play against them instead of working with it all. And when you become empowered, when you're able to shift out of that victimhood, um, state, it's elevating, Um, it's inspiring. And then you start to be able to celebrate life as it's meant to be because you are liberated in life. You don't see it as um, a burden anymore. So earlier you had mentioned dashas. Could you speak a little bit more about what are the dashas and why is it relevant to know or understand what dasha an individual is in? So dashas are specific cycles of time that we go through and the rishis the way that they set it up they said that a typical human life um, expectancy is 120 years and so we go through the dashas of all nine planets it's divided this 120 years is divided by the nine planets and so it's these nine time periods and each Um, planet has a different length uh, of time 
and this is represented on you know the way that they are um, dancing with the sun in our cosmos you know their relationship uh, their spatial relationship to each other in our galaxy our universe and like I mentioned earlier the dasha that we enter into has to do with where our moon is placed at our time of birth so we look to the moon we see what star sign or nakshatra it's in and that is what starts up this whole cycle so an individual may be born in a mars cycle a mars dasha and that um, means that the nakshatra a star sign that the moon was in is ruled by mars and so it, it, it begins the whole flavoring of life. One of the, the profound wisdoms within this is that we're able to see what energy is being highlighted for that particular time. So, for example, um, if someone is born in a Mars Dasha, we are going to look and see where Mars is placed in their chart. So what house is it in? And then what houses it is ruling? So if it's ruling the, the first house, if it's ruling the eighth house, or, you know, and then maybe Mars is in the fourth house. So those expressions of those houses are what's going to be um, highlighted during that period of time. And then it becomes even more rich in depth when we start to look at, okay, what planets are in those houses? Um, and how, how, what is the relationship of the planets that are within those houses to Mars? Um, and so that's what starts to give us an understanding of how that time period will be expressed for that person. We can go down even further. So there's some pretty long dashas. Rahu, for example, is an 18-year dasha. And um, we, can go, we can go down to the day. We can delineate it or very precisely down to the actual day to see how the energy is showing up for a particular individual, but we have the great scheme of things. The great umbrella is a Maha Dasha. So it's the full um, period of time. And then we go down further. And so it allows us to hone in a little bit more to an expression. So in an 18 year period, a lot can happen. There's a lot of shifting and growing and changing for people. And so we can take maybe the, you know, if someone's just entered that Dasha, we can take the first section of that, which is an antardasha. Antar is just the next step down, the next umbrella underneath that, that separates the 18 years into smaller segments. And so it helps us when uh, understanding and guiding someone into, you know, what energy is being expressed and how to best utilize the energy um, at that time how to direct their attention and energy. So what would you say to explore their own chart and their own Vedic astrology and these influences? How and why is it relevant right now where we are in the world? 
So right now, this wisdom is relevant because there is a collective awakening that's happening. The The energy is supremely ex, um, supportive of um, our awakening. We can look at the great um, cycles of time to see how the shift has started in the last hundred years that, um, you know, our relationship in this world has shifted to more of a, you know, we have much more access to technology, right? We're in that technological age. And what it has offered us is more security within our, um, our living. Many of us, not everyone in the world, but many of us are not concerned so much with survival. We're not having to um, hunt and gather and um, worry about being attacked by lions or tigers. We have moved into more secure um, ways of being. And this allows us to shift our understanding, our attention into um, higher states or astral um, understanding. And so this science can really benefit us at this time um, to shift into that um, understanding of light. You know, when, as light increases, we uh, become more aware of shadow, right? They, they are both here. They're, they're two expressions of the same. Um, so as more and more awaken, there's also greater um, perception, greater understanding of shadow as well. And so this science can help empower someone and enable them, give them tools to remain on that, um, the path of self-realization, of understanding um, the nature of this experience and how to serve within it as part of the whole. What would you say for yourself from studying this science and having readings and even looking at your own chart? What has been a learning that has guided you or guides you that, that really supports you on, on your soul's journey? I would say the, the greatest understanding is that nothing is wrong, that everything is divinely timed, that everything is divinely guided, that every experience is part of the divine, part of this cosmic intelligence and this wisdom this understanding of this ancient science has allowed me to more fully al align myself with cosmic intelligence and understand it not as a conceptual thing that's outside of me but begin to understand it more intimately within me and to integrate that energy um, within my experience. Um, for example, I, I, Saturn is um, the furthest out planet that we look at. It's the furthest away from us. It's the slowest moving planet because of that. It takes 30 years to go around the sun. And Saturn is a very sharp teacher. He is one of great discipline. <laughs> and... He kind of demands that attention and respect. 
and this soul, um, this incarnation, I came in to really work with him very intimately. And so this wisdom um, in its completion, not just Vedic astrology, but as part of this integrated science has really allowed me to integrate the wisdom that Saturn has shared with me and, and embody that wisdom more fully instead of it. Um, you know, I had a misunderstanding of the energy that left me with some rough edges, some harshness around the, the edges. Um, it's allowed me to soften that understanding and that energy so that I come out with the profound wisdom that he has shared with me and can then use that to help illuminate, um, you know, the world around me. <laughs> Thank you for that reminder that nothing is ever wrong and it's supported in the charts by the cosmos. And what's so incredible, and I know that you have had this experience too, is that with each, like each chart, each person that we get to connect with, you just get reminded that over and over again, it is all beautiful. It's all incredibly beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, to be able to align our consciousness with that understanding um, helps us move through the world as holistic beings. We enter our communities in a different way, regardless of how we're showing up in community. You know, we may be lawyers, nurses, bankers, construction workers. It doesn't matter. Then we're, we're showing up to that role in our society. However, we're playing a part more fully, more presently, and that creates ripples. So the, the reach of this wisdom <laughs> as infinite. Yes. Is there anything else in this moment that you would like to share in, in closing about Vedic astrology? What is coming through is that all of this wisdom is within each of us. We all have access to it. And so it's all available. It's available to each of us. The entire cosmos are within us. And it's how we use that information and um, what is being offered to us at any given time that allows us to live lives more harmoniously in our world. And I think that's what we're all um, desiring is a more harmonious expression of this journey of life. Well, thank you for your, your time and your wisdom and insight today. Um, if someone desires to connect with you and reach out to you, is, what is the best way for them to find you in the, the social, social sphere? Um, I have a company called Enlightened Living, and the website is enlightenedliving.yoga. That's where I share um, things that are wanting to express through me. I also have a, a, a new podcast where I speak about um, 
the Vedic understanding of life using the Vedic sciences, and it's called Veda Talks. Um, and I just want to say uh, thank you so much, Claire, for bringing this conversation forward, for asking me to be part of it. Um, it's been a supreme honor to have conversations with you about Jyotish um, in the last couple of years. And I, I can see that our understanding and relationship with this science is just going to grow and evolve. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that you're using your podcast to um, highlight this profound wisdom and what it can offer us. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hariyom. Hariyom. Thank you for listening to the Light on Being podcast. Like all things in time, this is an evolving living thing as we discover our wholeness and light together. I'm excited that you're along for the journey and I would love to connect with you. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Light on Being. Send me a message with any comments or questions, and they may be addressed on an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed today's podcast, the highest compliment that one can give is to share the episode with a friend or leave a review. Make sure to look up at the full moon and see her bright, radiant light. She is fully being.